Welcome to Fast Asleep. So, a lot of things have been whirling around your mind this week. I get, I understand. Let us read you an exceptional story. Let us bring you something that's going to insulate your mind and take you far away. We finally bring you the conclusion of our Stephen Crane tale in this episode. Now go back and listen to the first half of the story if you haven't heard it, and then come see us. In this story, it takes place in Nebraska, and, well, it's really a very simple tale, but it's about to get a lot more complicated. So here we go. Tuck in another wintry one. You're going to need a warm blanket. And please, enjoy the conclusion of Stephen Crane's The Blue Hotel. Scully took up a newspaper and as he slowly turned from page to page, it made a comfortable sound. And then suddenly, he heard three awful words. You are cheating. The little room was now filled with terror. After the three words, the first sound in the room was made by Scully's paper as it fell, forgotten, to his feet. His eyeglasses had fallen from his nose, but by a grasp, he had caught them. He stared at the card players. Probably the silence was only an instant long. Then, if the floor had been suddenly pulled out from under the men, they could not have moved more quickly. The five had thrown themselves at a single point. Johnny, as he rose to throw himself upon the Swede, almost fell. The loss of the moment allowed time for the arrival of Scully. It also gave the cowboy time to give the Swede a good push, which sent him backwards. The men found voices together and shouts of anger, appeal, or fear burst from every throat. The cowboy pushed and pulled feverishly at the Swede, and the Easterner and Scully held wildly to Johnny. But through the smoky air, above the straining bodies of the peace compellers, the eyes of the enemies steadily warned each other. Scully's voice was loudest. Stop now! Stop, I say! Stop now! Johnny, as he struggled to break away from Scully and the Easterner, was crying, Well, he says I cheated. He says I cheated. I won't allow any man to say I cheated. If he says I cheated, he's a... The cowboy was telling the Swede, Stop now, do you hear? The screams of the Swede never ceased. He did cheat. I saw him. I saw him. As for the Easterner, he was begging in a voice that was not heard. Wait for a moment, can't you? Oh, wait for a moment. 
What is the use of fighting over a game of cards? Wait a moment. In this noisy quarrel, no complete sentence was clear. Cheat, stop, he says. These pieces cut the screaming and rang out sharply. It was remarkable that Scully, who undoubtedly made the most noise, was the least heard. And then suddenly there was a great stillness. It was as if each man had paused for breath, although the room still filled with the anger of men. It could be seen there was no danger of immediate fighting. At once, Johnny pushed forward. Why did you say I cheated? Why did you say I cheated? I don't cheat, and I won't let any man say I do. The Swede said, I saw you. I saw you. Well, cried Johnny, I'll fight any man who says I cheat. Nah, now nah, you won't, said the cowboy. Not here. Johnny spoke to the Swede again. Did you say I cheated? The Swede showed his teeth. Yes. Then, said Johnny, we must fight. Yes, fight, roared the Swede. He was like a mad devil. Yes, fight. I'll show you what kind of a man I am. I'll show you who you want to fight. Maybe you think I can't fight. Maybe you think I can't. I'll show you, you criminal. Yes, you cheated, you cheated, you cheated. Well, let's start then, fella, said Johnny. Coolly, the cowboy turned in despair to Scully. Aw, what are you going to do now? A change had come over the old man. He now seemed all eagerness. His eyes glowed. Well, <clears throat> let them fight, he answered bravely. I can't watch this any longer. I have endured this cursed Swede till I'm sick. We'll let him fight. The men prepared to go out. The Easterner was so nervous that he had great difficulty putting on his new leather coat. As the cowboy pulled his fur cap down over his ears, his hands trembled. In fact, Johnny and old Scully were the only ones who displayed no emotion. No words were spoken during these proceedings. Scully threw open the door. Ooh, instantly a wild wind caused the flame of the lamp to struggle for its life. The men lowered their heads and pushed out into the cold. No snow was falling, but great clouds of it, swept up from the ground by the fierce winds, were streaming all around. 
covered land was a deep blue, and there was no other color, except one light shining from the low black railroad station. It looked like a tiny jewel. The Swede was calling out something. Scully went to him, put a hand on his shoulder, and indicated an ear. What did you say? I said, screamed the Swede. I won't have a chance against this crowd. I know you'll all jump on me. No, no, man, called Scully, but the wind tore the words from his lips and scattered them far. The Swede shouted a curse, but the storm also seized the remainder of the sentence. The men turned their backs upon the wind and walked to the sheltered side of the hotel. Here, a V-shaped piece of icy grass had not been covered by the snow. When they reached the spot, it was heard that the Swede was still screaming. Oh, I know what kind of a thing this is. I know. You'll jump on me. I can't beat you all. Scully turned on him angrily. You won't have to beat all of us. You'll have to beat my son, Johnny. And the man that troubles you during that time will have to deal with me. The arrangements were quickly made. The two men faced each other, obeying the short commands of Scully. The Easterner was already cold, and he was jumping up and down. The cowboy stood rock-like. The fighters had not removed any clothing. Their hands were ready, and they eyed each other in a calm way that had the elements of fierce cruelty in it. Now, said Scully, the two leaped forward and struck together like oxen. There was heard the dull sound of blows and of a curse pressed out between the tight teeth of one. As for the watchers, the Easterners held in breath burst from him in relief, pure relief, after the anxious waiting. The cowboy leaped into the air with a scream. Scully stood unmoving, as if in complete surprise and fear at the fierceness of the fight, which he himself had permitted and arranged. For a time, the fight in the darkness was such a scene of flying arms that it showed no more detail than a moving wheel. Sometimes a face would shine out, frightful and marked with pink spots. A moment later, the men would be only shadows. Suddenly, the cowboy was caught by warlike desires, and he leaped forward with the speed of a wild horse. Hit him, Johnny! Hit him! Kill him! Kill him! Keep still, said Scully, icily. Then there was a sudden, loud sound, dull, incomplete, cut short. Johnny's body fell away from the Swede with sickening heaviness to the grass cowboy 
hardly had time to prevent the mad Swede from throwing himself upon the fallen body. Scully was at his son's side. Johnny, Johnny, my boy. His voice had a quality of sad tenderness. Johnny, can you, can you fight some more? He looked anxiously down into the bloody, beaten face of his son. There was a moment of silence. And then Johnny answered in his ordinary voice. Yes, I, it, it, yes. Helped by his father, he struggled to his feet. Oh, wait a minute now, till you get your breath, said the old man. A few steps away, the cowboy was telling the Swede, No, you don't. You wait a second. The Easterner was pulling at Scully's arm. Oh, this is enough, he begged. This is enough. Let it go as it is. This is enough. Bill, said Scully, get out of the way. The cowboy stepped aside. Now, the fighters advanced toward each other. Then the Swede aimed a lightning blow that carried with it his entire weight. Johnny, though faint from weakness, luckily stepped aside and the unbalanced Swede fell to the ground. The cowboy, Scully, and the Easterner cheered. But before its finish, the Swede was up and attacking his enemy madly. There were more wildly moving arms, and Johnny's body again fell away like a stone. The Swede quickly struggled to a little tree and leaned upon it, breathing hard, while his fierce and flame-lit eyes wandered from face to face as the men bent over Johnny. Can you still fight, Johnny? asked Scully in a voice of despair. After a moment, the son answered, No, I can't. I can't fight anymore. And then, from shame and bodily ill, he began to weep, the tears pouring down through the blood on his face. He was too, just too uh, heavy for me. Scully straightened and spoke to the waiting figure. Stranger, he said calmly, we're finished. And then his voice changed into that deep and quiet tone, which is the tone of the most simple and deadly announcements. Johnny is beaten. Without replying, the winner moved away to the door of the hotel. The others raised Johnny from the ground, and as soon as he was on his feet, he refused all attempts at help. When the group came around the corner, they were almost blinded by the blowing snow. It burned their faces like fire. The cowboy carried Johnny through the piles of snow to the door. Inside, 
they were greeted by a warm stove and women who took Johnny to the kitchen. The three others sat around the heat and the sad quiet was broken only by the sounds overhead when the Swede moved about in his room. Soon they heard him on the stairs. He threw the door open and walked straight to the middle of the room. No one looked at him. Well, he said loudly to Scully, I suppose you'll tell me now how much I owe you. The old man, with a dull expression, remained calm. You don't owe me anything. Mr. Scully, called the Swede again, how much do I owe you? He was dressed to go, and he had his bag in his hand. You don't owe me anything, repeated Scully in the same unmoved way. <laughs> I guess you're right. I guess the truth would be that you would owe me something. That's what I guess. He turned to the cowboy. Kill him, kill him, kill him he repeated in the tone the cowboy had used somewhat. And then he laughed, but he might have been laughing at the dead. The three men did not move or speak, just stared with glassy eyes at the stove. The Swede opened the door and passed into the storm, giving one last glance at the still group. The Swede's face, fresh from Johnny's blows, felt more pleasure than pain in the wind and the whipping snow. A number of square shapes appeared before him and he recognized them as the houses of the town. He traveled along a street until he found a saloon. He pushed open the door and entered. At the end of the room, four men sat drinking at a table. The Swede dropped his bag upon the floor and, smiling at the saloon keeper, said, Give me some whiskey, will you? The man placed a bottle, a whiskey glass, and a glass of ice-filled water upon a table. The Swede poured himself an extra-large amount of whiskey, and drank it down. Bad night, remarked the saloon keeper, without interest. He was acting as though he were not noticing the man, but it could have been, seeming, that he was secretly studying the remains of blood on the Swede's face. Bad night, he said again. Oh, it's good enough for me, replied the Swede, as he poured himself some whiskey. No, continued the Swede. This isn't too bad weather. It's good enough for me. The large drinks of whiskey made the Swede's eyes watery, and he breathed a little heavier. Well, I guess I'll take another drink, said the Swede after a while. Would you like something? <laughs> no, thanks. I'm not drinking. Um, how'd you hurt your face? 
The Swede immediately began to talk loudly. Oh, in a fight. I beat the soul out of a man at Scully's Hotel. This caught the interest of the four men at the table. Ah, who was it? asked one. Johnny Scully, son of the man who owns the hotel. He will be nearly dead for some weeks, I can tell you. I beat him well, I did. <laughs> he couldn't get up. They had to carry him into the house. Have a drink? Instantly, the men in a quiet way surrounded themselves in privacy. Uh, no, thanks, said one. It was a strange group. Two were well-known local businessmen. One was a lawyer and one was a gambler. But a close look at the group would not have enabled an observer to pick the gambler from the other men. He was, in fact, so delicate in manner and so careful with whom he gambled that the men of the town completely trusted and admired him. His business was regarded with fear and lack of respect. That is why, without doubt, his quiet dignity shone brightly above the quiet dignity of men who might be merely hat makers or builders or salesmen. Beyond an, un, an occasional unwise traveler who came by rail, this gambler supposedly cheated only careless farmers who, when rich with good crops, drove into town full of foolish pride. Hearing at times of such a farmer, the important men of Romper usually laughed at his losses. And if they thought of the gambler at all, it was with a kind of pride of knowing he would never dare to attack their wisdom and courage. Besides, it was known that this gambler had a wife and two children in a nice little house where he led a perfect home life. And when anyone suggested that there was a fault in his character, why, the men immediately described the virtues of his family life. And one must not forget to declare the bare fact of his entire position in Romper. It is true that in all affairs, other than his business, this card player was so generous, so fair, so good, that he could be considered to have a higher moral sense than nine-tenths of the citizens of Romper. And so it happened that he was seated in this saloon with two local businessmen and the lawyer. The Swede continued to drink whiskey and to try to make the saloon keeper drink with him. Oh, come on, have a drink, come on, no? Well, have a little one then. Oh, by God, I've beaten a man tonight, and I beat him good too. Gentlemen, the Swede cried to the men at the table. Have a drink? Shh, quiet, said the saloon keeper. The group at the table, although really interested, had been trying to appear busy in their talk. 
but now a man lifted his eyes toward the Swede and said shortly, Thanks. We don't want any more. At this, the Swede straightened. Well, he shouted, it seems I can't get anybody to drink with me. I want someone to drink with me. Now, now do you understand? He struck the table with his hand. Years of experience had hardened the saloon keeper. He merely answered, I hear you. Well, cried the Swede, listen then. See those men over there? Well, they're gonna drink with me, and don't you forget it. Now you watch. Oh, stop that, shouted the saloon keeper. Why should I, demanded the Swede. He walked to the men's table and by chance laid his hand on the shoulder of the gambler. What about it? He asked angrily. I asked you to drink with me. The gambler simply turned his head and spoke over his shoulder. My friend, I don't know you. Ah, oh, never mind, answered the Swede. Come and have a drink. And now, my boy, advised the gambler kindly, take your hand off my shoulder and go away. He was a little, thin man, and it seemed strange to hear him use this tone to the big Swede. The other men at the table said nothing. What? You won't drink with me. You're a little fool. I'll make you then. I'll make you. And the Swede had grasped the gambler fiercely at the throat and was dragging him from his chair. Oh, the other men jumped up. The saloon keeper ran toward the table. There was a great scene of shouts and movements, and then a long knife appeared in the hand of the gambler. It shot forward, and a human body was cut as easily as if it had been a piece of fruit. The Swede fell a cry of greatest surprise. The businessman and the lawyer, well, they must have rushed out of the place backward. The saloon keeper found himself hanging weakly to the arm of a chair and gazing into the eyes of a murderer. Henry, said the latter. You tell them where to find me. I'll be home, waiting. And then he left. A moment afterward, the saloon keeper was in the street, racing through the storm for help and, more important, companionship. Months later, the cowboy was cooking meat on the stove of a small cattle farm near the Dakota border when there was the sound of a horse stopping outside. The Easterner entered with mail and newspapers. 
Well, said the Easterner at once, hmm, that fellow who killed the Swede will spend three years in prison. That's not much, is it? Oh, you will? Three years. The cowboy turned the meat in the pan. Three years. That isn't much. No, replied the Easterner. There was a lot of sympathy for him and Romper. Well, if the saloon keeper had been any good, said the cowboy thoughtfully, he would have gone in and hit that Swede on the head with a bottle right in the beginning of it. That would have stopped all this murdering. Mm, yes, a thousand things might have happened, said the Easterner a bit sharply. The cowboy moved his pan of meat on the fire and continued with his philosophy. It's strange, isn't it? If he hadn't said Johnny was cheating, he'd be alive this minute. He was an awful fool. I believe he was crazy. I feel sorry for that gambler, said the Easterner. Oh, so do I, said the cowboy. He doesn't deserve three years for killing that fella. The Swede might not have been killed if everything had been honest. Might not have been killed, exclaimed the cowboy. Everything honest? When he said that Johnny was cheating and acted so crazy and then in the saloon, why, he practically asked to get hurt. With these arguments, the cowboy made the Easterner angry. He did. You're a fool, cried the Easterner fiercely. You're a bigger fool than that Swede. Now let me tell you one thing. Let me tell you just one Thing. Listen, Johnny was cheating. Johnny, said the cowboy blankly, and there was a minute of silence, and then he said strongly, Oh, no! Why, the game was only for fun. Fun or not, said the Easterner, Johnny was cheating. I saw him. I know it. I saw him. And I refused to stand up and be a man. I let the Swede fight alone. And you, you were simply jumping around the place and wanting to fight. And old Scully, too. We are all in it. This poor gambler just got pulled into it. Every sin is the result of shared effort. We, five of us, have shared in the murder of this Swede. You, I, Johnny, old Scully, and that fool of an unfortunate gambler who came merely at the end of a human movement and gets all the punishment. <laughs> now the cowboy hurt and angry, 
cried out blindly into this mystery of thought. Well, I didn't do anything, did I? And that's the end of Stephen Crane's story. Good night.